The following podcast is an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Rochester, Minnesota. You can find out more by visiting harvestrochester.org. The entire Word of God that we see that we read points to one thing. Uh, that thing is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And we've been in this year, really we've taken a year, our church has taken a year and really focused on, on Jesus Christ as our cornerstone, our foundation. And it's crazy, we only have a couple Sundays left, really two Sundays left in taking a year and focusing on Jesus. And don't worry if, if, you're, if you're new or, or visiting with us, if you come back in September, we'll still be talking about Jesus. You guys, anybody been around for a little while, remember those shirts that we had that said, it's all about Jesus? You guys remember those? Travis Norton, he wears it still. Yeah. Those are pretty awesome shirts. I love those. It's all about Jesus. But we've taken a year really to set a foundation to define really who Jesus is. Who is Jesus Christ? And, and as we close this year on Jesus, we've taken this series called The Whole Picture and asked God really to widen our view and our perspective on the God-man Jesus Christ as someone who's a creator, not created as someone who hasn't been restored, but is a restorer, as someone who's existed since eternity past and will be around forevermore. Uh, Chris last week shared with you guys from the Old Testament uh, a story in Zechariah where we saw Jesus restoring far before he ever uh, came on the scene in the manger, far before Matthew 1. Jesus was on the scene doing his work. Far before he, was, he humbled himself to be born as a man and, and live as 100% man while still being 100% God, Jesus existed. He was. He was. And the Old Testament gives us glimpses and some evidences of those, and we're going to be in another one of those today. In today's text, we're going to be in the book of Daniel. We're in the book of, uh, towards the end of the book of Daniel, we're going to be um, in Daniel 10, and we'll be there in a second. The book of Daniel is really this interesting book. It's set about 600 years before Christ, between five and 600 years before Christ was born. Uh, it's a really interesting book in the Bible because God shows something to Daniel, a prophet at the time, who's been, who's been taken out of, of Jerusalem. This is during the captivity. He's been taken out of Jerusalem. He shows some things to Daniel, a man who uh, is living before Jesus Christ came and born, but before the cross, he shows some things to Daniel about the second coming of Christ. So really just skips the whole church age, which we talk about most, right? Because we, we live in that, that age, right? The gospels and now the church age in which we live in as we wait for Christ's return. It's a really interesting book because God, through these visions, shows Daniel some of these things, and it just really skips a whole period of time. Pretty crazy. Like, kind of makes my head spin a little bit. Make your head spin a little bit, yeah? Yeah. You know, because, you know, me and you, like, we're bound by, by space and time, right? We're bound. We can't get beyond that space and time. But, but God, serve a God who's, uh, not. He's, he's a never-changing, always and forever God who's been doing the same things since eternity past, and he promises to do those same things moving on towards the future. And today we're going to come face-to-face -face with that God, man. And he's not just going to paint us a picture of a God we read about in a history book, some God who's in, in the past, but a living God we can talk with, worship with, and have a relationship with. No, Jesus Christ, the revealer of all things, is wants to give us a clear picture of not just who he is, but who he is to me. Wants to give me a clear picture of where I stand with him. 
That's what today's message is all going to be about. He wants to give me a clear picture of my relationship with Christ. Because God will do whatever he needs to do to open up my eyes. To give me a clear picture of my relationship with him, where I stand with him. I'm not talking about how, how godly others perceive me. I'm not talking about the things that I do. I'm talking about my heart and where my heart stands with Jesus Christ. God's going to reveal some things. I pray that he reveals some things today. They were going to see how, how personal and how urgent that is. We're going to see into Daniel's story that God's going to go to whatever lengths possible, wanting, inviting, calling, giving, taking away, whatever lengths possible to give us a clear and authentic picture of my relationship with him. Let me pray. Father, you are, how awesome to join hands as a church this morning and just call out to you, Father. You you speak of in your word, Lord, the power of a group of your people calling out to you. You talk about building shaken, literally physically shaking buildings from that, Father. And we're grateful, Lord, for a body of believers who can come together and call out to you, Father. But we're also grateful, Lord, that we can have a personal conversation with you, that I can roll up to you one-on-one, -on -one, the Savior of the universe, the Father of all, and have a conversation with you, Lord. So we ask, Lord, that you to speak clearly into each one of our hearts, Lord. Open up our eyes as the God of truth, the God of grace, the God of mercy and kindness and holiness, Father. We ask you to open our eyes and more importantly, our hearts to your ways, who you are and who you are to us, to me, Father. Please, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you would uh, flip to, to Daniel 10. I um, mean, as you flip, this is a, a book towards the, old, the end of the Old Testament, um, after Ezekiel, before Hosea. As you flip, I'm going to give you some context, because we're just going to, we're jumping in and out of a passage. I want to make sure and give you some context of what's going on in Daniel 10. Is it okay if I do that, church? That's all right? Yeah, a little context? Okay. So one thing, too, though, you should go and read Daniel this week. Uh, we've been given a charge by our senior pastor and our elders to read the entire Old Testament in three years. Shake your head yes if you know what I'm talking about. Yep. So in three years, he's asked us to read the Old Testament. You could knock off Daniel this week. All right. So encourage you as you, you know, marinate the application to go and read Daniel this week. It's 12 chapters. You can knock it out in a week, no problem. So go ahead and read that. But I'm going to give you some context as we see here. We actually preached through the first half of the book of Daniel about a year ago, year and a half ago, seeing a man of prayer and a man of dependence, a leader, how a leader was built up into leaning on the Lord. But really we're going to be looking at more of the second half of the book of Daniel. It's kind of divided into two books. The second half of the book of Daniel, we see him see four great visions. Okay, he sees these four great prophecies. And these are some pretty crazy, this is some pretty crazy stuff. That's, that's my commentary. You can't steal that. Pretty crazy stuff. No, I'm serious. Like, like leopards with wings and beasts with ten horns. It is, it's crazy. We see some of the most vivid and graphic descriptions of the end times in the book of Daniel. It's pretty awesome, awesome stuff. Visions of the second coming of God. And we see those in chapters 7, 8, and 9. Okay, so he's seen, at this point, he's seen three visions already as we move into chapter 10, and chapter 10, 11, and 12 are like this last, last great, great vision, okay? And, and after each one of these visions, we see Daniel, he's pretty shook up. I mean, could you imagine how you'd be if you'd see these visions of the end times? You haven't even seen Jesus come for a first time, and now all of a sudden you see visions of him coming in all mighty and all glory, you know, with all power, and you see the end times, and we, some of you have read the book of Revelation, you know what that looks like, it's pretty crazy, right? So he's pretty sh shooken up. So after each one of these visions, God sends an angel 
uh, to come to Daniel to really interpret, to make it clear, to make him understand. That's really the context for this morning. Um, so Daniel is really used to getting some quick service. He's used to having a lot of communion with the Lord, that, that these, having these meetings with these angels, understanding these visions. He's used to really spending some time with God, spending some time with the supernatural. So on to chapter 10, we catch up with them. We're starting in verse 1 of chapter 10 now. We read, in, in the third year of, of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. And I'll just stop right there for a second. So we know some time has passed between chapter 9 and 10 because it gives us uh, the third year of Cyrus. This is set in about 586 BC. Uh, this has been 70 years now since Daniel's been taken out of captivity, which puts him at about 85 years of age. So he's an old, pretty old guy. All right. 85 years of age. And we see the first verse is really a summary from the, for the rest of the entire chapter. Okay. It says the word was true. It was of great conflict. I love that he says the word was true. Does that mean that everything else written in the book of Daniel of the Bible isn't true? No. So why does he say the word was true? You think about it, like when you're about to tell somebody something that's going to be really hard to believe, like what do you say? I swear this is true, right? Anybody ever say that? Like this is true, right? So Daniel knows that what we're about to read is going to be maybe, it's going to be, we're going to have to take some faith to believe it. So he's like, this word is true. This word is true. Very important. All right, I'll keep reading. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first, first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Upaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. So as we're let back into the story of Daniel, back up to verse two, we're not painted the prettiest picture, are we? We see Daniel mourning and, and fasting, really pressing into the Lord, not told explicitly why he's mourning or fasting in this passage, but I think we can assume some things. Daniel, remember, been taken out of captivity and for 70 years now has been really fasting and praying for the rebuilding of the temple, for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And we know that the timing has come soon now where Ezra and Nehemiah are going to go back and rebuild. We've been in that series last year. But Daniel now at the end of his life has not seen this yet. He hasn't seen this yet. So could you imagine now waiting 70 years for something, coming towards the end of your life. I mean, at 85 years of age back in, in that time, like there's not a lot of life left for Daniel. And he knows he wants to see this so bad. He served the Lord 
for so long, and he's longing to see this, longing to see this before his life has ended after being taken out of Jerusalem 70 years ago, longing for his people and their place to worship God, just longing for it. So he turns to the Lord in fasting. He's not eating any, any food, any fancy food, any, any meat, no dessert. He's not anointing himself. He's no, no oils, basically no bathing at all. Um, it's crazy. So it's, we're not just talking about 21 days of fasting here. We're talking about 70 years of waiting. Now this 21 days really sits at the end of this fast. All right? You think about it, man, if I'm Daniel and I'm fasting for 21 days and I'm you know, I've seen these visions from the Lord, but I'm yet to see this temple rebuilt. I've got to be thinking, man, the Lord, me and God are pretty, pretty synced up. We got a, we got a thing going on. There's some communion there. God, where are you? Where are you, God? What's going on? I've waited this long. It hasn't been just 21 days, but 70 years. Let me ask you this. Have you ever waited longer for something than you hoped it would take? Have you ever waited longer for something than you hoped it would take? Have you ever waited longer for something than you thought it should take? And if you're a guy in here right now and you're thinking, my wife at Target, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> ah, you're missing it. You're missing it. No, no, I'm talking about waiting on God to show up. For God to give you rest from that thing. To answer that prayer. To make it clear why he did that. You know, is there a lot of waiting that goes on in this book? Have you read this book, some of it? Like, there's a lot of waiting going on in this book. Basically, the entire whole is the Messiah to come, right? The entire Old Testament. All right, and we'll skip the four chapters of the Gospels, and we'll move to Acts and on the entire epistles, right? Is waiting for the second coming of Christ, right? And the four Gospels, the four books in the Bible where they actually don't have to wait for something, they screw it up and kill the guy that they're waiting for. No, I'm serious. I, I'm serious, right? Right? They do. There's a lot of waiting going on in this book, and there's a lot of waiting going on in our lives. There's a lot of waiting going on in our lives. So just thinking about that, why? why? You know, the truth is, the longer that we have to wait in the dark, the more we have to lean into the light of God's truth. The longer we have to wait in the dark, the more we have to lean into the light of God's truth, the more it becomes clear how much I'm really resting in that truth, resting in that power. So the first one today, to get a clear picture of my relationship with him, Jesus wants me to wait for him. Jesus wants me to wait, revealing his power. Jesus wants me to wait, it reveals his power. Isaiah 40, 31, many of you know this verse, I bet. It says, those who wait on the Lord renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. Wings like eagles. If you know anything about an eagle, it's basically the most feared, majestic top of the food chain in the sky. This is a powerful bird. It's a powerful animal. Love that Holy Spirit-inspired Isaiah to do this. And we see Daniel, um, he's about to have a very powerful meeting with the Lord. Powerful. A life of waiting. We see the fruit from a life of waiting waiting for this to be cured, for this prayer to be answered, for Jesus to come back. A life of waiting on the Lord is empowered by the one for whom we wait on. It's empowered by, for waiting on the Lord, truly godly waiting on the Lord is empowered by the Lord. It's a life empowered by the Lord, and that's a, a powerful life. Put yourself in Dan, Daniel's shoes right now. He's the most godly dude on the earth. I think it's pretty fair to say at this point, he's the most godly dude, okay? 
been through the fiery furnace. He's been through the lion's den, king after king. He's walked with them and interpreted dreams. And now he's having these divine visions and spending time with angels. I mean, it would have been pretty easy for Daniel to get a little confused about where, the, where his source of power is coming from, right? Been pretty easy for this guy to have a pretty big head. Been pretty easy for him to take a trip to a place I like to call I Deserve This Island. Anybody ever take a trip there? I deserve this island. We start looking left and right at all of our junk or all of our blessings instead of looking upward. But we see Daniel doesn't do that. Daniel has proved faithful by waiting here. Love faithful examples for us to go off of, right? We see Daniel in verse 5. What does it say in verse 5? Anybody? It says he lifted his eyes, didn't he? I lifted my eyes. He looked up. He looked up. Who knows how many times for the last three weeks Daniel had looked up. He might have looked up every, you know, every few seconds. God, come on. But we know that this time when he looked up was definitely the most memorable. Definitely the most memorable. Daniel, a man filled with the Spirit, his regular interaction with angels and visions of, of heaven, all of these things of the end times made him no less overwhelmed by this meeting that he was about to have. Pretty incredible. He's standing in the middle of nowhere next to a river and sees this. He sees this. He looks up and he sees this man clothed in linen and described so vividly with all these features. You know, who is this person? Who's this man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold, body like barrel? Who is this person? Anybody? Sound, sound familiar? Does that description sound familiar to anybody? You know, the best counsel to the Word of God is what? The Word of God, yes. Um, so reading this passage, this is an a, a eerily familiar description to uh, Revelation 1 and the description John gives of Jesus in Revelation 1. So I had this put on the screen, I think. Uh, they'll throw Revelation. So go flip to Revelation 1, or you can just read it off the screen. Either way. Um, in Revelation 1, we see John, who's revealed to the post-resurrection Christ, say this. He says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow, his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like a roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was shining like the sun in full strength. You flip back to, to Daniel 10, 5 and 6. That's a, a pretty similar description, isn't it? Pretty similar description. And we conclude from uh, the context of this and this description that Daniel, in, the, in Daniel 10, he is having a meeting with the pre-incarnate, eternal second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. This is widely concluded by people much, much wiser than me and uh, preachers that have been doing this much longer than I have, that this is a meeting with Jesus Christ. A meeting with, with Jesus Christ. I love the congruency of the vivid description. Isn't it awesome that there's like 600 years in between, almost 700 years in between, uh, you know, Daniel's pre-incarnate Christ to John's post-resurrection Christ, but the descriptions are what? Almost identical. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that cool? Remember that verse, Hebrews 13, 8? 
that Chris gave us a couple weeks ago. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What an awesome proof of that. What awesome evidence of that from God's word, from God's word. Let's look a little closer in this description that Daniel gives. I think he describes this for a reason for us to see. We see clothed in linen. Again and again, we see the linen, especially white linen, um, as a symbol for holiness in the Bible. It's what priests wear in the Old Testament. Um, We see it just a, a symbol for holiness, which is the foremost attribute of God, his holiness, his holiness. And we see his gold belt. Uh, John says a gold sash. You think of gold. What do you think of gold as like the richest, like wealthiest thing, right? I got a lot of gold, right? God has all of the gold of that prayer this morning from from Steve. That that it all belongs to God. He's wearing this gold belt, his sovereignty, right? And then barrel, a body like barrel. I had absolutely no idea what barrel was, so I Googled it. Barrel is actually one of the most precious and rare stones there is. Anybody know that? Raise your hand if you knew that. Anybody? Come on, don't be shy. All right, we got one. Andy Cohen's barrel is one of the most precious and rare about barrel is that um, it's it's completely it's almost completely colorless and free from impurity. I love that. Isn't that cool? I think of like like a diamond, reflective of God's glory reflective of God's glory. So we see the holiness of God, the sovereignty of God. We see the glory of God. And now we see, it says a face like lightning. Face appearing of lightning. And I think of just the brilliant light and the brilliant power. Storms last night, lightning, pretty, pretty powerful storms, right? Anybody wake up from those? Have some, some kids wake up from those storms. The power from God's face. And then eyes like flaming torches, flaming torches. In a, a message where we're talking about revealing things, I think of a torch. You know, you're, you're like walking down this cave and, and the cave is dark and you're making what couldn't be seen, seen, right? You're making what couldn't be known, known. Think of the wisdom of God. And lastly is his arms and his legs like burnished bronze. So awesome. John describes his feet like this, his feet like burnished bronze, stomping out the enemy, our protection his judgment, our protection. So in this description, in this awesome, awesome description from Daniel, we see the holiness of God. We see the sovereignty of God, the glory of God, the power of God, the wisdom, the protection, and the judgment from God. What an awesome picture of our Lord Jesus Christ that Daniel is his privy to just sitting next to a river. So cool. So cool. In verse 7, we see that others literally fleed. They literally ran away from something they couldn't even see. It says they couldn't even see it, and they just ran away. You know, when absolute holiness comes on the scene, you know, it, it could not be handled. We see Daniel, again, the, one of the godliest or the godliest dudes in all the land, left in a heap. He's face down in a heap in the presence of the Lord. Daniel's reaction to seeing the Lord just falling on his face, literally an 85-year-old prophet, literally on his face eating dirt, a mouthful of dirt. Weakened from his limited food for the past 21 days, now literally unconscious. You think about other times in scripture when we encounter divine godliness, when, when divine holiness is encountered. You remember the story of Peter? When Peter takes Jesus fishing, okay, and, and, and Jesus catches a ton of fish for Peter, right? What does Peter say? This is something kind of weird. He says, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. He says, get away from me. I can't even, I can't even stand to be around you. 
Can't even stand to be around you when God's absolute holiness, absolute majesty is revealed to us. We can't even, we can't even stand it. We were on our faces. Think of the same thing in Paul when he's on the road to Damascus and, and Jesus comes down and said, for me, I'm the one you're persecuting. What happens to Paul? Right? On his face, blind for three days. Over and over we see this. You know, the beginning of our relationships with the Lord must start with, with fearing the Lord. With fearing the Lord. Proverbs says this over and over. The beginning of our wisdom, the beginning of salvation is to fear the Lord. And I'm not talking about a fleeing dread, okay? Like a fleeing like these other guys did and ran away. Okay, I'm talking about as we roll up into the presence of the Lord to be so gripped by his majesty that we can't help but be on our knees or on our face. I'm not talking about an anxious, troubled fear that we sin with. I'm talking about an awestruck face on the ground laying in the presence of perfectness fear. So that's number two. Jesus invites me into his presence to reveal his perfectness to reveal his perfectness, not only to reveal his power, to reveal his perfectness, how perfect he is. This is that fresh look at my filthy rags. Fresh look at the filthy rags. This is kind of the hard part of the message, just a warning. Uh, because last week in Zechariah, Joshua and the high priest, he, he got a view of his filthy rags, right? You know, when it's been a while since I've had a fresh glimpse of, of, of my uh, my sin uh, from a fresh drink of the word or a fresh time in prayer, a fresh conversation with a brother speaking some truth into my life. You know, I start thinking I'm doing pretty good. Start comparing myself to Chris and say, well, I'm more godly than him. I'm doing pretty good. I'm more godly than this guy. I'm doing pretty good, right? I start to not really own, own my sin anymore. I'm not talking about being defined by my sin. I'm talking about owning it, Okay. You know, by letting me into his presence, by letting me into God's presence, Jesus brings a life to the contrast between his character and mine. The only one I should be compared to. His character and mine. His ways and my ways. You know, Jesus graciously presses into me so that I own the weakness of my sin. So I own it. Left to myself, I don't just struggle with my sin. I am a sinner. Left to myself, I don't just struggle with anger. I'm an angry man left to myself. You know, own that. Because the more I own it, the more I own it, the more I can rejoice in the fact that he's paid for it. The more I can have a desire to die to it. You know, anybody ex heard the expression, preach the gospel to yourself? Yeah, you guys have heard that a little bit. It's kind of an interesting expression. Um, if you think about it, because, you know, Matt Nicola, me on my own, I don't really have the power to convict any heart. Like, I don't have the power to convict your heart for sure. And I don't even have the power to convict my own heart, right? I could literally go home after church and open the Bible and preach the, yell the whole Bible to myself in the mirror. And it would mean nothing if I wasn't in the presence of God. It would mean absolutely nothing. Only God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus Christ, can, can change our hearts, can change our hearts. Our, our, our will, our work is nothing on its own. So getting a clear picture of my relationship with Christ must include rolling up into his presence through prayer, through the word, through community and brotherhood and sisterhood, getting a clear picture of how perfect he is. He is. And the story doesn't end there. Aren't you glad the story doesn't end there? Aren't you glad the story doesn't end with us face down with a face full of dirt? Like, that, that, that'd be a good time for an amen, people. Somebody tell the 11 o'clock service so they do an amen. I'm glad the story doesn't end there. And Daniel's story doesn't end there either. Let's continue reading here. We're picking up back in verse 10. 
It says, and behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. So we see now the vision is over. A hand uh, reaches out and touches him. Continue in verse 11. It says, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been, sp- been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. I love that. Man so greatly loved. Daniel, you're a man who's greatly loved. Stand up. You need to get this. <clears throat> so at this point, it says, I've been sent to you. So we start to think, is this, is this the same man? Is this still Jesus? Or is this somebody different? We're going to continue to answer that. But let's just continue reading in verse 12. It says, Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you have set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Let's stop here. This is an important note that we can't miss this. Talking about rolling into the presence of God. Did Daniel do more to get God to come? No, Daniel didn't do anything more to get God to come. Daniel's actions didn't like conjure or twist God's arm into leaving the splendors of heaven to come put a little FaceTime in with him. No, 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 no. You know, and that sounds silly for us, but, but if we really looked at our actions, we sometimes, that, our actions reflect that that's what we think, right? If I just try a little harder, if I just do a little more, if I just stay up a little longer, if I just grip this a little tighter, God will show up. God will answer. Man, if I was really vulnerable with you, with you this morning, and I'll, I, I'm trying to be, um, I, I would tell you that working for a church is really, it's really easy to fall into this. It's really, really easy to fall into this. If I do more, God will show up. But we see this. We see right right out of the mouth of this person that that is not why they came. That is not why they came. And, you know, we should work hard unto the Lord. I pray that each one of us would give our best unto the Lord. But our outward service, our outward giving, our outward reading of the Bible, that on its own does nothing to enter the presence of the Lord. No, no, no. We see what entered, what, why they came, why Jesus Christ showed up is because Daniel humbled himself before his God. He set his heart to understand. He set his heart to understand. He rolled up with a blank slate. He rolled up with open hands and says, said, I don't have it. I don't have it, God. You do. Not, I have it 90%. God, could you just give me the last 10? Or God, you take it 90 and I'll take it 10. Or God, I think it's going this way. Could you just prove me right? No, 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 no. He rolled up blankly. He set his heart to understand and said, God, show me. And that's why God showed up. We cannot miss that revealed truth. So important in getting into the presence of the Lord. We continue reading in verse 13. It says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is yet to come. So we see this person speaking to Daniel and saying, you know, uh, Michael had to come help me. I was stopped by this prince of Persia. So kind of right there, we know that this isn't Jesus anymore. Because is an angel coming to help Jesus? No, right? Like we, we know that Jesus, like doesn't he, he doesn't need help. He might invite some people, but like he isn't he isn't thwarted by any prince of Persia. We know from Revelation 12 by the blood of the Lamb and the word of testimony that he sends Michael to crush Satan. 
So we know, we assume that this is now an angel, another angel that's having a conversation with the Lord. It's important. So we see how important this is that, hey, we, we were coming. It's been 21 days. We see this angel explain why it took 21 days, this cosmic battle, this unseen battle. The prince of Persia, which <clears throat> we assume is a demon, Satan, one of Satan's forces, that's preventing God's plan from being carried out. We know that's de what demons do, that they try to thwart God's will, right? They thwart God's plan from being carried out. Paul in Ephesians 6, 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, like this prince of Persia, right? Against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the rulers of this world, okay? The spiritual forces of evil, of evil. So we see at this, and we see during this explanation of what is happening that there is literally a battle going on right now between angels and demons, and that battle is still going on. Probably right in this room. I think we could assume that fairly. When the word of God is being preached, when God's will is being done, that there is opposition, and we know that there's, there's a battle going on on both sides, and we see a picture of this. Continue in verse 15. It says, when he had spoken to me, talking about the angel, according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground. It was mute on the ground again. Poor Daniel. And behold, one, of, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. And then he opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come, to, have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me and said, O oh man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. Love that. And he spoke to me and I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. And then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Yet another startling revelation for Daniel, right? That there are these evil forces against God's plan and God's will. And Jesus enlists this angel he sends this angel to tell Daniel this, not to overwhelm him, not that he could fall on his face again, although he does, but he wants Daniel to see the attention that he's receiving from God. He wants Daniel to see that God's face, God's ear is inclined towards him. And I love that we have a God that not only inclines his ear towards me, but wants me to know his ear is inclined towards me. That's pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. He wants Daniel to know that he's responded, that Daniel, you're a man greatly loved. You are a man, you are a woman that is greatly loved. Don't fear. I want you to understand. He says, I've come so that you may understand. Isn't it awesome that we serve a God who does, don't want us just to be on the ground, confused, overwhelmed, but he wants us to understand. He wants us to get a whole picture the whole picture. He wants our relationship with him. He wants it to be revealed to, for us to have a clear picture of our relationship with him. He wants to say, Daniel, my love and my passion is with you and for you. 
wants to say, Blake, my love and my passion is undeniable. It is for you. I love that. And I want you to show, I want to show you that. So to show you that, I have to show you what's really going on. I have to show you what's behind the scenes. I have to pull open the curtain for a second and show you. It's going to be hard to see, but I have to show you what's really going on. That's number three. Jesus shows me what's really going on, and that reveals, my, reveals his passion, revealing his passion. You know, in sitting, in sitting in this passage over the last few weeks or so, I've had to really ask myself, you know, what am I passionate about, and how does it line up with what God is passionate about? That's really one of God's tools. It's one of his tools in his tool bag that he uses, because I can't fake passion. You cannot fake passion. You cannot fake desire. You can fake actions all day long, okay? We all do it every day, at least one action, right? But you cannot fake your desire in your heart. You cannot fake passion. So how does my passion and my desire line up with God's passion and his desire? You know, I also can't change my desires either. Like by working harder in my own strength, only God can change my heart. Only God can do that. You know, we mess around and we devote ourselves to some pretty petty things. You're like, I thought, I thought last point was the hard point. <laughs> no, you know, we do. We, we mess around with some pretty petty things while God's trying to reveal to us some monumental truth. Don't be mistaken. Our interest and our passion will be captured by something. It will be. You know, I, I remember about, about four years ago, you know, God's just been pressing on my heart to tell you this story. And I really didn't want to tell you this story because I think it's kind of insignificant and petty. Um, it makes me look kind of stupid too, so I, I really didn't want to tell you the story, but God's been pressing my heart, so I'm going to tell it to you. Okay, about four years ago, I started meeting um, with Steve Diedrich in the morning. Uh, we started reading the Word. He's teaching me to read the Word and to, um, you know, to make disciples and all of that, and it was, it was amazing. And at that point in my life, I was somewhat lukewarm, I would say, and I was working in the business world, and it happened to be around springtime when we had started meeting. And springtime, for all you guys, you know that also means March Madness time. March Madness, right? And I would literally, at that point in my life, I would literally take a couple days of PTO to go to B-dubs to watch March Madness all day on Thursday and Friday. Some of you guys are still doing it. <laughs> I would literally do that. I, I was so passionate about this thing. I was so prepared. I had like 10 brackets filled out. The preparation in advance was there. Like I was passionate. I remember somehow that came up in a conversation with Steven. I remember him like kind of chuckling about it. He said it in love, but he also said it with, with quite, quite confidently. He said, you know, yeah, Matt, someday that stuff won't matter to you so much. And I was thinking, man, March Madness? Like clearly this guy has lost his mind. <laughs> Or at least his man card, right? <laughs> a couple of years later, a couple of years pass, and I, I almost forgot about this conversation, to be honest. A lot of revealing, you know, some of you guys know my testimony. It's not important to the story, but life radically changed, okay? Uh, you know, flipped on its head, you know, called into ministry, blah, 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 blah. Fast forward to this March. Okay, this, this March, a few months ago, I walked into my office, and there was a, a, an NCAA bracket on my desk. I remember looking at that thing and I remember just laughing. I bust out laughing because in preparing my heart and changing my desires and my passions, God had prepared me with about as much effort in picking teams by jersey color because I didn't know anything about college basketball at that point in time. And you want to know the cool part? I didn't want to know anything about college basketball. 
Not that college basketball is the enemy. That's not what I'm talking about. But what a clear evidence of God completely changing the desires of my heart in something so, so trivial like, like March Madness. Some of you guys that, that know me at all might say, what about your passion for the Chicago Bears? And I would say to you, let's not get carried away. You know, seriously, though, I urge you really to, to, to meditate on, on where God has changed your desires. He's done work in your heart. He's changed what you're passionate about. That's awesome evidence of him at work. So be encouraged by that and ask humbly, go to him humbly and ask for more. Ask for more, that he would change your heart, change what you desire and what you're passionate about because his passion for his people is undeniable. You know, his sons and daughters from at the beginning of time were destined to be added as heirs. He's so passionate about it that he created us. He's restored us. He's now revealing to us all of his creation, right? All of his word. Making us into disciples, making us into disciple-making disciples. We see this in the last few verses, not only, you know, in that Daniel's eyes were reset onto God's mission, the full plan, but his role to hear it and understand it and now record the vision as, of God's truth as a part of this. You know, we might have, we, saw, we probably would have seen Daniel much differently than how God saw Daniel. Think about it, 85-year-old guy, kind of on the backside of his life, right? We'd have made out, I've got enough out of this guy. Got enough out of this guy. Nuh-uh, nuh-uh. God's like, what does what Philippians 1, 6 say? And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Daniel, at your day of Christ, when you're standing next, next to me face to face, that's when you're done. That's when you're done. You're not done yet, Daniel. You're not done yet. I haven't maxed you out yet. And I implore you, I exhort you this morning that he hasn't maxed you out yet. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of how you've seen him work, how he's used you, he wants to do more through you in you. So stop cheating yourself and stop cheating the church because he wants to do more in and through you. It might be a hard message for you to hear. But I think it's clear from an 85-year-old prophet now, God calling him to get up, understand, I have some more for you to do. We look at verse 16. Here it says, uh, it's the one as the children of man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and I spoke to him. And we see in verse 18, the angel touched him again and, and Daniel strengthened. The absolute mercy that God would take a weak and frail man, silent with a face full of dirt, infuse him with power to give him purpose. Infuse him with power to give him purpose. I hope that story sounds familiar to the people in this room. I pray that it does. We see in Verse 17, Daniel's complete humility. He says, how can my Lord's servant talk to my Lord? I'm not worthy. On my own, I have no strength. You know, we see the chapter come to an end with these powerful instructions in verse 19. It says, I have strengthened you for a reason, Daniel. Be strong. Have courage. Good courage. And then in verse 21, it says, I've come to tell you, what is inscribed in the book of truth. I've come that you would be able to tell a story, Daniel. Daniel, you're going to need to tell the story of all these things that have been revealed to you so that we today could sit here in Kellogg Middle School and read about it. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool, isn't it? That's purpose. That's purpose. So we see to fulfill 
this purpose, to fulfill this mission, I'm gonna need a clear picture of where I stand with Jesus Christ. I'm gonna need his power to be revealed. I'm gonna need his perfectness to be revealed. I'm gonna need his passion to be revealed. And I'm also going to need his purpose to be revealed. Jesus gives me a mission revealing his purpose. Last one. Gives me a vision, vision revealing his purpose. Coming face to face with Jesus, you know, really widening my glimpse at, at who he is, gets an, gives an accurate picture of where I stand with him. And that changes everything in my life. When I get an accurate picture of where I stand with him, changes everything. No matter how long or how little I've walked with him, there's more to see and there's more to be. There's more to see and there is more to be. You know, listen to the Holy Spirit. Just listen to the Spirit, which is surely in this place right now. Uh, God's in this place right now. Maybe it's that you've been waiting on something. He revealed some of where his power or his priority ranks in your life. Maybe it's that you need to roll up and you need to sit at his feet. You need to get in his presence through prayer, through the word. You need to sit at the feet of God and compare yourself to his perfectness, not the guy or the lady sitting down the row. Compare yourself to him. See the robes versus the rags. The robes versus the rags. But then remember, remember the work on the cross that made those rags into robes. Yeah. And rejoice in that power be grateful that power, the, the mercy and the grace that did that. Rejoice in the deeper in the payment laid out to do so. You know, and that makes what used to seem important, that might have seemed really important, really interesting walking in here, all of a sudden seem really unimportant or uninteresting or unpressing. What used to seem that, that burdened you when you walked in here might, might seem that not so much of a burden walking out. That's what God wants to do this morning. He wants to lift that off of you. He wants to replace that with his passions and his desires. He wants to show you what's really going on, how much of a passion he really has for you, how he loves you, he cares for you, he wants you to understand. The same God who hundreds of years earlier visited Abraham and, and Joshua in these stories. The same God who 560 years later than this story would come to be born as a man in a barn, 100% man while 100% God. The same man who 33 years after that would be born as, or would, be, would go to the cross, would die for mine and your sins. The same God who promises to return with all glory and power. All the same God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God who wrote the first page of creation and who holds the pen in his hand to write the last page. Next week, we're going to be in Revelation 22, so prepare your heart for that. The same God who will come back, who calls us to a mission, giving us purpose. And his purpose so much greater than anything we could ever imagine. A purpose to take what he's revealed about his power and his perfectness. And as those truths are continually revealed, as our eyes are continually open, we're to walk worthy as a man and as a woman who left on their own would be completely unworthy. Right? We're to, to walk and to speak as a man or woman left to himself would have nothing to say. We're to walk or to open our eyes 
and see as a man or as a woman who would be blind without him, blind without him. So as we close today, I ask you to do some business with the Lord. Um, Brent's going to sing. Um, I'm going to pray here as we close. I ask you to meet the Lord. I ask you to ask him to give you a clear picture of where you stand. God, would you give me a clear picture of where I stand with you? I ask you not to leave this place today until you've met with him, until you've opened up your eyes to see where, where some growth needs to happen in your relationship. You see, need to see more of his power. You need to see a little more of his passion for you. You need to see a little more of his purpose for your life. Where is it? Because he is surely to meet with you if we walk to him open-handedly, humbly. So Brent's gonna sing over you. I'm gonna pray here. Meet with your God. Meet with our God. He wants to meet with you this morning. Let me pray. Father, you are, you're an amazing God. You are the God of all things. You are the God of the heavens. You're the God who reigns. You're the God who restores and, and creates, Father. Father, would you give us a bigger glimpse, a wider glimpse of who you are this morning? I ask you to weld us into these chairs until we have seen it this morning. Father, Father, that we would just, just op have our eyes absolutely open, God, to what you want for our lives, to who you call us to be, Father. A picture, Father, give us a picture of who you are and what you want. Please reveal it to us, Father. Just press into us to be strong, to take courage, to be stewards of God's grace, which you've lavished upon us. Please, God, grow us up firm in the faith for your honor and your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.